Welcome back to Impact City. Uh, I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, Matt, thank you for bringing this up here. I appreciate that. I need something to hit whenever I preach, and it's good to have this here. Um, we are starting a new series today called 1 Corinthians to the Church. 1 Corinthians to the Church. It's a series that we're going to walk verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, I know you're probably thinking, Felix, Felix, we just finished a whole series that went through the book, verse by verse, of the book of Philippians. And I understand that. But the letter to Philippians, much like the letter to the church in Corinth, was written by Paul, but there's, there's some very strong differences in the two. In fact, the letter to Philippians had a theme about it. Y'all remember the theme of Philippians? If you don't, it's okay. I understand you probably were falling asleep anyway. But the letter to Philippians was that we need to be rejoicing in all situations. Paul was writing this letter from the insides of a jail cell. And as he's in jail, he is rejoicing about all the great things that God is doing in his life and in the life of the church back at Philippi. It's a very different theme. The theme for Corinthians is a different theme. There's a different temperature in the room when you read the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, okay? Uh, you know, Paul wrote Philippians, of course, from jail, but he's writing Corinthians at a different point of his life. He's actually writing the book of Corinthians, the letter back to the church in Corinth, at the end of about three years of ministry when he was starting up the church in Ephesus, okay? So y'all catch that? Y'all, 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 y'all trending with me on that one, right? Paul wrote Philippians from the inside of a jail cell. Paul wrote Corinthians when he was in ministry in Ephesus. Two totally different mindsets. One of them is a, a place of darkness and despair, while the other one on the other side, what we're going to learn about in Corinthians, is a place of hope, love, just awesomeness, ministry is good. This is what God should be doing in your life. There's a big, big difference. It's a much more lighter theme. It's a theme of happiness. It's a theme of living out the gospel in the everyday stuff of life. That is the theme of Corinthians. That's why I think as a church, we need to be diving into it and, and learning and not just skimming through the Bible, but digging our hands deep into the roots of what Paul was writing here to the church, a young church that was up and coming, a church that was just starting to flourish. He wrote a couple of letters to him, about four. We only have two, but it, he actually wrote four of them to the church in Corinth. And he's, he's writing these letters to this church. He's telling them, this is how we should be living. This is how you should be going. This is the power of the gospel. And us as a church can benefit greatly by learning how to be a better follower of Christ. How to be a better disciple of Jesus. How to be a better church in general. As you read and preach through this book, there's four gospel themes that we need to be looking for as we continue this. So you can go home today. You can probably sit down and read the whole book of 1 Corinthians in about maybe less than an hour, maybe a whole lot quicker than that. If you're like my wife, you can read really fast. But as you're going through this, we're going to go verse by verse through this. There's a couple of themes that are gospel-based that we need to look for. The first off, the first theme is this. We need to be understanding that, that we as humans are desperately in need of God's grace. Okay. If we take notes, four themes in 1 Corinthians is that we as humans are in desperate need of God's grace. 
That's what the book of Corinthians is about. Paul is going to address some problems within the church and point back to our flawed spiritual um, priorities. Basically, all the problems that are going on in 1 Corinthians are because the Corinthians, the people of the church, their spiritual priorities are flipped. And that's why they have problems. In essence, it means that it's just showing us that we, they need Jesus more and more than, than they ever knew. So the first theme is that we as humans desperately need God's grace. The second theme is that our hope is in Christ alone and not in our own perfection. And that's key for us to know because so many times we base our success and we base our feelings and we base the way we view our life on what we have accomplished or what we do or what we don't do versus Jesus. And 1 Corinthians is a key example of that. It's good at showing us that we are in the habit and we are prone to create spiritual blind spots in our lives. But not to worry because the blood of Christ and the, the gospel of Christ overcomes those problems. And so y'all tracking that. We are easy to, we're prone to wander, but Jesus is better, as, as you'll soon find out. The third thing is that where grace, where the grace of the gospel is at work, holiness will result. That's the other thing, the third thing that we've got to be looking for. Basically, the book has some really hard and radical demands on the life of a Christian. Okay? If you're reading some of these books, like James is just a kick in the gut when it comes to how you should live as a Christian. Well, 1 Corinthians has some, some, some attributes of that. It tells you that, that as a Christian, you need to do this. As a follower of Christ, your life should reflect this. And if it's not, then there is a problem. There's some pretty radical demands on holy living. And, and we can't soften those demands, by the way. Listen, like, like we can't take those demands that the, the book is telling us how we should live and say, oh, if you want to live like that, it's okay. It's not really, it's more of a suggestion than a command. Like, no, these are some hard truths that we as Christians are going to have to learn to swallow. But just because they're hard and radically uh, just demanding things, we have to remember that the book in general emphasizes the grace of God. And if the grace of God is there, then righteousness will result in that. And so while they're hard to do, and you probably will not live up to all of the demands that 1 Corinthians is going to tell us to do, we need to remember that the entire uh, idea is that the gospel of grace, that Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ that comes to forgiveness, is bigger and better than that and covers us when we fail and we fail miserably. Amen? The fourth one, that there is a theme in the book that says this, that it urges us as followers of Jesus to apply the gospel to our everyday life. There's a theme in the book that says that we need to be applying the gospel to our everyday life. This is important to remember because it really is easy for us to compromise our faith when we are engaged in culture. Like when you're out and you're in the workforce, it's easy to compromise your faith whenever your job is depending on it. Well, I know my job tells me to do this, but my God tells me to do something other than that. Are you going to compromise for your job? Are you going to uh, be obedient to Christ? Oh, it's easy to compromise whenever you're in a relationship with someone else. And it's easy to say, well, I know God says not to do this. I know God says this is not right, but I really like this person, and this person is tugging at my, my fleshly strings to do something that I shouldn't do, and it's easy for us to compromise that. That is why 1 Corinthians urges us as everyday believers to live out the gospel in the everyday stuff of life. That's what it does. 
There's a lot that we can disagree with the world, but whenever pressure comes on us, we will probably give in to that. And the, the, the truth about that is that we don't hold God at, at the right level in our lives. That's why we give in to those things. That's why we give in to temptation. That's why we give in to the, uh, the, the things of the world, because God is not Lord of our lives. If he was Lord, we wouldn't even dare think twice about sacrificing our spirituality just to get a few seconds of pleasure. Sacrificing our spirituality to get on the next ring of the ladder of success. We wouldn't do that because the Lord isn't actually the Lord of our lives. But Corinthians points us back to that. It says God is sovereign in all things. God is Lord of all things. You respect Him. You honor Him. You worship Him, not because of what He does for you, but simply because of who He is. That is what the whole theme is. These are themes that, that we'll read through each as we read through each verse in the upcoming weeks and months and really years um, that I hope will grow us into a more mature church. I hope they penetrate the depths of your heart and help you mature. Um, but before we get into that, we'll really start 1 Corinthians uh, next week, okay? This is kind of, a, this is kind of a, the prefix to the book. This is the, the intro. That was the intro. Uh, before we get into that, I think that I want to kind of pull over to the side of the road and just kind of take a moment, take, take the next 20 minutes or so to explain why we preach the way we preach here at Impact City Church. Because if you've been a part of us for any amount of time, if, if you've been here, you know that we as a church have a tendency, we just started doing this back in like 2013, to go verse by verse through a book of the Bible. And we don't, we stopped doing little mini-series and stuff like that, but we started going verse by verse through the Bible. And I don't think I've really explained this lately and, in, and with as much in-depth that I'm about to go into as to why we do that. Why do we preach that style of preaching here at Impact City Church? Have you guys ever wondered that? Or have we just come to church and be like, you know, if I can hear Mexican guys yelling at me again, that's kind of what we do. Like, no, like there's a reason why we preach the way we do. Now, there's two kinds of preaching styles. There's two kinds of ways to preach. One is what we call expository preaching. Expository preaching is the way we preach here verse by verse through the Bible, and then there's what they call topical preaching. So you got expository and you got topical, and there's nothing really wrong per se with either war, okay? There's nothing really wrong with either war, but there are some key differences that sway us as a church and as your leadership team to say, whenever we preach, we want to preach expositorily through the Bible versus topically through the Bible. Let me explain kind of the differences here. Topical preaching, and this would be a quick sermon, by the way. Topical preaching is basically this. Topical preaching says that um, I come up with an idea in my head that I want to talk about. And whatever it is, whether it is it's money, I want to talk about money, the church needs money. So, of course, the pastor always talks about money when the church needs money. Uh, maybe we want to talk about uh, maybe sex, maybe how to have good sex in your marriage. Uh, if you're not married, how not to have sex. Uh, maybe we want to talk about... Um, how to be a good time manager, or whatever topic it is. Uh, best five ways to raise your kids. Uh, most godly way to uh, run, a, uh, you know, run a business organization, or top five ways to pray. Whatever it is, you find a topic that you want to talk about, and then me as a preacher will go through the Bible, and I will skip through different verses and scriptures, find the ones that help support my argument. Okay? Notice what I said there. Help support 
my argument. And there's nothing wrong with this. Okay, we do this from time to time. If you remember, we just finished up the Adore series when that was a topical series. We said we're going to learn how to adore, how do we worship Christ. And with our hands lifted high, with our gifts, with our hearts poured out on bended knees, that was a, a topical thing. Uh, we did other topical sermons before. Um, we, did, uh, we did one a while back. It was probably the most uh, controversial one. We did one called uh, God, Love, and Sex. If you were back with us back in the hotel, we did that. And it was basically a topical-type sermon, and it dealt with those three things. It was meant to raise eyebrows, and it, it worked very well. It's one of our, our better series. You can go look it up on iTunes if, if you want. Uh, there I am just promoting. I'm sorry. But that was topical preaching, Okay. Topical preaching. Now, expository preaching does this. Instead of coming up with a, with, a, with a topic and finding ways to prove your point, expository preaching is like this. I get along with God as the leader of the church, as the pastor of the church. I read through scripture. I allow God to work in my heart. I pray about what it is that God wants me to go. And when I find a book in the Bible I feel like God has led me on, in this case, 1 Corinthians, we will go verse by verse through there. We will read the Bible together. And I will explain to you what God is saying in the Bible. What is God saying? What is his point to tell us? Not what I want to tell you, but what he wants to tell us. And as we read through it, I use uh, personal experiences in my life to tell you and show you that this is what God is doing. This is how God is working on my life. This is how God can work in your life. And it's basically this, that it's not that we are proving my point is that I am proving God's point. And there's a big difference there in the way those two preaching styles happen. That whenever we preach, we don't want to be any, any uh, we don't want to be foolishness and do things our way. We want to do things the way, the way God wants us to do them. And so to eliminate any selfishness in my heart as your pastor and say, oh, I just want to talk about this topic because I'm really good at preaching about this. Or I want to talk about this product or this this thing, I want to package the sermon this way because I know it would bring more people in. I don't want that. I don't want to be able to say that I, I, I sway people to do anything. I want it to be like, this is what God wants. This is coming from his word. And there was no argument. And if you have a problem with it, hey, you should have known it because next week you know what we're going to read. It's the very next verse in the Bible. And this is why we preach the way we do. We want to ensure that we're exalting Jesus to the highest point of praise possible where we totally exclude ourselves from the equation of being able to interject and determine the course of the church. This is all from God. Y'all tracking with me on that? You good? Nod your head if you're asleep. Okay, good. You're like, yes, I'm asleep. I mean, no, I'm not asleep. Yeah, sorry. I want to show you in Scripture what it looks like and give you two reasons why we believe that this preaching is the way we are called to preach. Again, nothing wrong with topical preaching. We just don't feel like that's where God wants us as a church to be, okay? So I'm not dissing topical preachers. Uh, I'm going to just kind of lay it all out there, okay? So if you have your Bibles, please open it up to, uh, to coincidentally, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, coincidentally. If you don't have your Bibles, they're on the seat in front of you. You can take that home for you. If you need a Bible, if there's one in the seat in front of you, take one home. You can look down the row. Hey, bring me that Bible. I need a Bible. You take that home with you. Uh, scripture will be on the screen behind me. Also on Facebook, you all know how, how we do this. Uh, we got kind of a goal uh, this year on Facebook is we want to get to 1,000 likes by the end of the year. I think we can get to it by the end of the half the year. We want to get to 1,000 likes. We're at like 700 and I think 28 or 731, something like that. But we know that we can get to that. So if you would please 
uh, log on Facebook. The scripture of the day is there. You can check into the church. Ask your friends and family to, uh, to like the page. We really appreciate that. That just helps us get the word out there. It really helps us. And it also helps us save money in the church because whenever we do advertising for Facebook, it's a lot cheaper when you have more people because you don't have to do advertising. You can just post a post. Instead of it going to 700 people, it can go up to 1,000 some people automatically versus having to pay for all those other people to see the message. And so that's just a way you can help us out. Just like and share the page. Uh, but it's on there. The scripture for today is on there. Uh, so what you're going to see here is you're going to see Paul explain to the church in Corinth, uh, this young church that we're going to get to know very well, explain to him why he preaches the way he does. Okay? And Paul just heads up, he preaches, uh, you know, expository preaching too. But he's going to teach them why he preaches the way he does. So starting off in uh, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4, Paul says this. Verse 4 says, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power. I love how the King James Bible translates this. KJV says this, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power. Okay, Paul is saying here that when I came to the city to preach, when I first rolled into town, I preached very plainly. I preached a message that was very plain, okay? He says, I didn't try to use fancy speech. I didn't try to use eloquent words. I didn't try to razzle and dazzle anyone here. I came with one way and one simple, plain way. I brought the gospel is what he's saying. This was a direct shot, church, by the way, a direct shot to the philosophers of the day. Because whenever they were rolling up into town, these philosophers, these great minds, these great thinkers would come into town and they would roll up and they would start to preach uh, their own worldviews, the way they believe the world should go, the way they worship, the way they, they believe. And they would come up and they would set up in the middle of town or they would set up in a building, wherever it was, and they would preach to people how the world should be. And these philosophers were very smart, and they used beautiful words. They used enticing speeches. They were able to package a message and deliver it with the greatest of, of ease and just beauty and just make it awesome. And so they would do this, and they would, they would preach to these people. And then they would leave the people feeling very kind of wild, and they were feeling very excited they were feeling all pumped up about what they had just heard. And they would come in, and, and as people heard the message, they were excited because it was enticing. Like the message was cool. It was relevant to what they were listening to, and, and they were excited about it. And they would go, and they would feel all wild excited. Now, Paul rolls in, and Paul says that when I, I want you to know that when I came to the city, I didn't talk like that. I want you to know, church, and when I rolled into town, I wasn't trying to persuade you. I want you to know I wasn't trying to entertain you. I wasn't trying to leave you wild. I was trying to tell you something that was not just going to leave you happy for a while. I didn't come with a prepackaged message that was structured to tug at your heartstrings. Basically, I wasn't trying to play you guys when I came into town. Now, quick question. How is that any kind of, how is that type of preaching any different than what we see now on TV or in some churches? 
I know so many pastors. Look, and I've been in this for a few years now. About, what, like 10 years we've been in the church scene, maybe longer. And I know so many pastors. I came from churches like this that spend so much time, so much energy, so much finances, so much you know, gigabytes of storage and, and trying to create and package the perfect sermon series to deliver to everyone, the perfect look, the perfect storyline. They, they, they try to get the most interesting uh, type of storyline so that they can connect with people, okay? They try to get everything that's relevant to what's happening today. And so, like, if, if iPhone's dropping a new iPhone, they make their series called uh, The I Pray or whatever it is. Or, um, you know, if... You know, Google is, is, has, a, has something on that, like, uh, they'll call it, you know, Google searching for God's heart or whatever it is. They, they, they try to make it relevant and they get the, the best graphics and all that. And they'll, they'll, that's great. Like, believe me, that is awesome. Like, if you were able to do that, I guess that's cool, okay? But Paul says that's not what I did. Uh, they do this to get the audience entertained enough to stay there and hear the message. Y'all track with me on that? If you guys, you guys kind of agree? Like, like, they do that to get you to come and hear the message. To get you to stay and listen to the message. They, they do it to get you to listen to the message. Listen, and I guess in and of itself, that's not bad. And I don't believe that any pastor who does this has some type of, like, greedy, you know, you know backstory trying to do it to, to, to gain something. I think that they really, their heart is true. They want to bring people into the church, okay? But, but what's intriguing to me is that Paul said, I didn't come to preach like that. Like the greatest disciple, one of the greatest uh, missionaries of Christ, the guy who wrote two-thirds of the Bible says, I never preached like that. Like that's intriguing to me, that Paul didn't have to do all these things like the philosophers of the day. He simply came and brought a plain message. Listen, isn't the idea, after all, of pastors needing to package the Word of God in a way that's sexy, in a way that's hip, in a way that is cool, in order for you to listen isn't that kind of sending a subtle message that the power in preaching is not found in the Bible or in God's Word, but really the ability of the pastor to be able to give you something that you would like to listen to? Does that make sense? Like, whenever we go through all those trouble to do all this, isn't that sending the message that the Word of God is not really enough? Does that make sense? This is not how Paul preached. Look at verse 4 again. It says, And my speech and my message were not impossible words of wisdom. Then Paul says this. This is how he preaches. But in demonstration of the spirit and of the power. He says, when I rolled up into town, I didn't bring the circus with me. Okay? I didn't come into town. I didn't bring this big theatrical production. I didn't have the smokes and the laser lights. I didn't have all that stuff. That. I didn't bring you all the cool the sermon ideas. I didn't bring that thing. But what I did bring, what I did bring was designed by God with the spirit and power of God behind it to leave you not just wild, not just happy, but literally changed. I brought you the spirit of God and the power. He said, when I preached, God showed up and there was power there when he showed up. And that, my friends, my church, is the greatest thing that I, I believe is ever done in church. When you preach And the power of God comes in. I don't think there was anyone here in church that would literally choose preaching that simply entertains you versus the power of God. Does that make sense? I don't think that there was 
anyone here that would rather choose a sermon that is going to make you happy, make you feel entertained, versus a sermon that's going to convict you, move you, and change that is anointed with the power of God. There is no, there is, it doesn't even compare. That's why we preach the way we do here at Impact City. Because I can care less if we are entertained. I'd rather us be moved to change. I'd rather us be at a point in our lives that we feel like that message, something about that message, was something that, that the pastor said. How did he know that I was going to, how did, I want the spirit of God. I, I don't even want to preach. I want God to preach through me. Does that make sense? And the only way that we can ensure that is if we allow ourselves to be controlled and moved by what God wants us to do, not what we want to do. I remember it took me a while to figure this out. Um, I used to find the coolest message series. Um, I used to try to think about the, 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 just the, the trendiest way to get people to come and to get people to, to do this. My whole first year as a pastor in Impact City Church, I remember that was my thing. And I was getting a lot of um, guidance from other pastors who do similar things, and they said, listen, like 80% of your budget has to be all to marketing the message. And I was like, well, what about outreach? Like, don't worry about that. Like, you have to market the message. It has to be everything is about the message. It has to be, like, this is where you get the coolest, uh, you know, graphics. This is where you get all that stuff. And it took me a long time to figure out that, um, that it wasn't until, like, 2013 that I said, okay, I'm not going to do this no more. I want to go you know, expository preaching. And we started a verse-by-verse message to the book of Mark. And I was scared to death because I thought to myself, how are we going to preach verse-by-verse to the book of Mark? I'm going to actually have to know what I'm preaching. I'm going to have to preach through, through verses that I probably would never preach through unless I was forced to. And this is going to force me to. And as we went through that book of Mark, the Spirit of God started growing within the people of this church. There was power in the gospel, in the, in the book of Mark, there's power in the preaching because it was anointed by God. It was through the Bible. It wasn't my heart. It was God's heart. We saw a lot of, a lot of great things happen. It begs the question that if the power of preaching is not found in the abilities of the preacher to construct and, and, and create this perfect message, then where does the power come from in preaching? Where does the power come from? Scripture tells us the answer. Just flip right back to the other side of the page. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. Scripture tells us the answer. Paul tells us exactly where the power of preaching comes from. Verse 7 says, verse 17, sorry. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And we'll talk about that as we go through the, the, the series uh, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. In verse 18, this is the answer. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. You have heard this before, right? Just the message of the cross, the, the gospel of Christ, the message of the cross, it's stupid. It doesn't make sense of people who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. What is the power of preaching? It is not found in clever and creative messages. It is found in the power and the word of the cross. You can listen to great sermons all day long. I promise you there are some amazing speakers out there who can deliver amazing messages to you. 
but they literally will become more like motivational speaking messages after a while. It will start to sound like everything else, and before you know it, all the messages are going to start to sound the same. But when you, and you might feel pumped up for a little while, you might feel excited, you might feel empowered, like, yeah, I, I am a champion, I am a victor, I claim this in my life, and I'm going to do great things. And that's good, you're going you're gonna to go out, you're going to do great things for about a day or so, and then you're going to sit right back into uh, just everyday life. And it's going to wear off like a piece of candy. I promise you, you eat candy, I love candy. But candy eventually does what? Dissolves and fades. And that's exactly what this mess- these type of messages are. Designed to entice you, excite you for a little while, and then they fade. But you can come and hear a message by someone who is saying that the center point of this message is the cross. The power of God to come into your life, to save you from your sins, to, to, to rescue you from what... Uh, for, the, for the wickedness that's in your heart. And that message, if you are being saved, if God is knocking on the door of your heart, will move you to not only be moved and motivated, will move you to change in your life. And real change in your life. The cross is not the only thing in the world that has, or sorry, the cross is the only thing in the world that has the power to do that. The only thing in the world that has the power to change you permanently. This is why we preach what we preach. This is why we open our Bibles and we pour over it verse by verse. This is why it takes us a long time to go through a book of the Bible, because we're not skimming through it. We're, we want to actually know it. We want to not have this be just something we do on Sunday. We want this to be something we do every day of our life. We want this to be something that we understand and love and know. And like I said earlier, that we dig our fingers deep into the soil of the Bible and cultivate that into our lives to see something grow up. That is why we preach the way we do. It's because we desperately want the message of the gospel in every area of our lives to soak in God's word in his wholeness and in his beauty. Church, the message of the cross is the most powerful message in the world. Why would you crave something that would give you so much less? Why would you crave something that would give you so much less? I don't want to give you a message about finances. I want to give you a message how God died for you so that you can have everything that you did provided for in your life. I want to give you a message about how to love your wife better. I want to give you a message how God loved you so much that he died for you. The scripture says that we as husbands should love our wives as Christ loved the church. I want you to have that message so that you know how to love your wife better. I don't want to give you a message on how to treat people, how to, how to be nice and how to go through five steps and how to have a better attitude towards people. I want to give you a message of how Christ came and love and serve the poor so you can see that the cross says that we are to love and serve others and you would start living like that. I want you to be fluent in the gospel. I don't want to give you advice on marriage. I want to give you the gospel. Because if you listen to the gospel, if you allow the gospel to transform you, then everything else falls into place. I promise you that. That is why we preach the way we do. There were two reasons why we believe that. That was the first one. That, that, that was a long one. That was the first one. The second one's not so, not so long. That there's power in the Word of God. And the second reason is this. Is that we preach verse by verse through the Word of God. Uh, and do not lean on our own creativity. We don't lean on our own preaching sermons. The way we can make something cool and hip and, and sexy. Uh, but we do it because worldly and human beauty and human desire are ultimately fleeting. We preach the way we do because worldly beauty and human desire becomes fleeting. It, it, it goes away. Uh, we as humans have this crazy um, 
a way of craving things, and then once we attain the things, after a while we don't want them anymore. Have you noticed that in your life? That there are some things in your life that you want so bad, and for that moment, it's like, I got to, got to, got to have this. And as soon as you attain it, a couple of hours, maybe days, it's gone, okay? Um, that's the point of the whole book of Ecclesiastes. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes uh, was written by King Solomon, and he had all these things. He says, I was king. I had power. I had land. I had servants. I had riches. I had women, lots of wives. Why he would want lots of wives? One is enough. Um, you know, believe me, I had alcohol, I had food, I had all these great things. I mean, it was a party every day, Kardashians over, it was incredible, it was fun, and I had a large, beautiful home, and at the end of my life, as I survey my life, all of it was vanity. All of it was pointless. All of it was trash. None of it had value in my life. The crazy thing is, though, is that we may be able to get past beautiful, worldly things like that. We may be able to get past a new truck. maybe may be able to get past a house. But there is not enough of God for us to get past. That the more you invest and pour your life into Christ, the more you would desire Him. The more you would crave Him more and more. That is why we the way we do. I'm not going to give you something that is just pretty. I'm going to give you something that is eternal. That's why we do what we do. Let me put it to y'all like this. Um, a few years back, God decided to blow everyone away with a white Christmas. Y'all remember this? Was it 2003? Yeah? And everyone flipped out. Y'all remember that? Like, I remember waking up Christmas morning. I was going to bed like Christmas Eve. I saw a couple like sleep. I said, oh, it's going to sleep. You know, South Texas snow. And I woke up. I was like, holy cow! What was that? Like, whoa. And it's like rubbing your eyes. And you're like, that's incredible. I remember going outside. And I remember like making the dirty snowman with the leaves. It wasn't like that much of snow. But it was enough snow to where I was like, this is snow. Like there was beyond a shower out. This is snow. It's white. That one's yellow. Don't touch that one. This is snow. <laughs> right? And what did, what, did, you know, what did we do? All of us, if you're in Corpus, if you had never seen, you know, you were excited. I remember getting up and I put my boots on, my jacket, and I walked to Sarah's house. We were dating. We were in an apartment. We were probably like five miles away, maybe less. I'm not that fit. And so we, I started walking to her house. And the whole time I'm walking, I'm like, it's snowing. Like, look at the car. It's snowball. You know, like I was excited. And I got to your house and we, I picked up Sarah and we walked back. I remember we walked past Collier's Pool, which isn't even open because I'm old. And so college point, like the steam coming out of it because it was so cold outside. We were pumped up. We were excited. But you know what? There were some people who couldn't even give a darn about the snow. They were like, oh, this ain't nothing. I remember Sarah's dad, who's from Pensacola, New Jersey, up there, up, up north. He's a Yankee. He was like, oh, this ain't snow. Oh, this ain't nothing. I remember the blizzard of 74. You know, like, like, I, like there was like people like that, you know? And you know Why? We were so excited about the snow, we had never seen it before. We had never seen it. It was beautiful. It was something incredible. But to those who had seen it already, time and time again, eh, it was more of a hassle. It was something in the way. You know why? Because they grew up with it. It wasn't that pretty to them. They had seen the snow-covered mountains of the Colorado Rockies. 
They had seen great things like that. They had witnessed not just three inches of measly Texas, South Texas snow. They had seen three feet of Minnesota snow that lasted for weeks after the fall. They had seen that. They had seen the beauty of Alaskan ridgelines. They had seen those, those beautiful just images that we see on postcards here in South Texas, that they had seen those things. And when they saw this, it wasn't that great. You know why? Because I bet you when they were kids, it was great. But after a while, the beautiful things of this world become not that beautiful to us anymore. I heard a, a, a story about Chris Tomlin and uh, his pastor, Matt Carter. And I'll just go through this real quick. But Matt Carter says he's in a deer blind, and Chris Tomlin texts him, and he just wrote Kathy Ireland. Kathy Ireland. Y'all, y'all remember? Who knows Kathy Ireland? Okay, yeah. Okay, she was like iconic. Early 90s, late 80s, like supermodel and cover Sports Illustrated. I've never seen it, but I'm just saying that was Kathy Ireland, right? And Chris Tomlin was like, you know, like he loved her as a kid. And one day, Kathy Ireland, she's a believer in Christ now, uh, and she actually came to one of Chris's concerts, got backstage passes, and Chris was telling the story to, to, to Matt, and he was saying, dude, she walked in, and like the, the world stopped. And we all stared at her, and he said that uh, she walked up to one of the, the band members, and she goes, hi, I'm Kathy Ireland. And he said the Batman woke up, he's like, awesome. Right? <laughs> oh. You know, here's the thing. Kathy Ireland is a beautiful woman. And women, this is, this is true. Her husband, she's been married like 25 years, what he was saying. But he said, I seriously doubt, as awesome as she is, that her husband doesn't wake up in the morning and say, oh. <laughs> He's not like, oh, can I take a selfie before we start the day? Like, just you're Kathy Ireland. After 25 years, that beauty fades after a while. You get used to it. Listen, I love firearms. And Sarah can tell you, I love my gun. But after a while, I want to buy another one. Ladies, you love your shoes. You love your purses. But after a while, I want to buy another one. And the Spirit of God is not like Spirit of God in your life is an unquenchable thirst. It leaves you wanting more because the more you dive into it, the more you want it. Listen, if there is a part of your life that you feel is not complete because you're not filling it with God. You will fill these holes in your life with things that are of just no value. We try and we feel lost, we feel hurt, and we want, we, we want to feel like loved, and we fill it up with a new truck or a new car. You fill it up with a relationship in our lives. And listen, like, you know relationships, they start off great, and then you see who they really are, you know? And then you're like, oh, why did I even get into this? I should have listened to all my friends. They said she was psycho. Like, like, or they said he did this. I knew that he picked his nose, but I didn't really believe it. Now I see it. Whatever. I don't know about the picking nose. I don't know about that. We fill up our lives with things of no value. Why don't we fill up our lives with things of value? Again, it's why we preach the way we do. Because there was real power in the cross. Now, you don't want to give us anything less than the cross. So the power is. It's a message that will never run dry in your life. That's the one that will always fulfill your needs. The message of the cross. You will fall more and more in love with Jesus the more and more you believe in the cross.
me ask you, will you believe that today? That Jesus is better than anything else I can offer you. Will you believe that today? I don't care what relationships you're in. I don't care what things you have parts in your driveway. I don't care how successful you are in life. Will you believe and stand on the truth that Jesus is better? Will you believe that God is enough for you? Will you believe that? That God is enough. That no matter what is stripped from your life, that God is enough. Look, Job had tons of stuff stripped from his life. But God was enough. Still praise him. Will you believe that the message of the cross is the power working within you? That the message of the cross is enough for you? Will you believe that? My desire for all of us here today is that we confess that and we believe it today. I love you guys. Let me pray for you.